fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Again, it's Sunday night, Monday morning, depending where you are, and you are on the edge of madness, the edge of coldness, the edge of, um... Wetness. There you go. There you go. I was waiting waiting for that. (laughs) My favorite, the edge of wetness. (laughs) So, Mike Mott. How are you yes. doing tonight? I'm hanging in there. I'm aggravated with Skype because it sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, Telling been... me it doesn't recognize my password. Okay, I'm currently on Skype. Right. But it tells me that my, my credit has run out on my that I had on there. You know, you put money in it and it keeps your credit. Right. Keeps your credit there. But like you and I were talking about, you don't have to have Skype credit to talk to each other on Skype if you're both on Skype, supposedly. But I had credit on there last time I was on here. I haven't been on here since we did the show last. So where did my credit go? Well, turns out that Skype will delete your credit after a certain period of time. They will decide, well, you're not using your credit, so we're just going to steal it from you. So apparently that's what they did. And even though you and I should have been able to communicate, it wouldn't let you see me. So I went on line, which is what you have to do, put more credit on there, and then all of a sudden, miraculously, you could see me within like 30 seconds. Gee, that's a coincidence. So, but, but once again, though, that doesn't make it. It doesn't no. make sense considering that. Okay, Skype to Skype calls are supposed to be free. It's exactly. only it's only when you use your Skype to call, say, say you know somebody's landline or somebody's cell phone. Oh, oh it, it gets better, Tim. Okay, it let me make it let me make a payment. It recognized me, and when I you know, click in Skype and it takes me to the web, and it recognized me and let me put credit on there. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then it says logging you into your account after that. So my Skype credit is there, and I'm on Skype right now. But then it takes me to log me into my account, and it won't recognize my password. Hmm. The same password that I'm using right now to talk to you. However, there (laughs) is a fly in the ointment. I looked at the page, the login page. It's a Microsoft page. Whenever you get Microsoft involved in anything, you can expect extremes of Dysfunction. <laughs> that's Period. Just, yeah, that's, that's just, it's bizarre. It, it, yeah. it, really, it really is. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Microsoft bought them not long ago, and so now everything, you know, typical, typical Microsoft garbage. And this is this is the same bunch of idiots that want to reform our educational systems. So. Well, you know, it's. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, currently Skype is, uh, I think, the only game in town. I think, uh, uh, is it uh, um, uh, Facebook? Isn't Facebook trying to do something similar to Skype? But, I mean. I don't know. We, I we mean, do need an alternative, but I don't trust Facebook either. No, no, so I was it, just saying, yeah, that's not much. So, it, so it's, trying to, it's trying to log me into my, okay, to my Skype account. And then it says, 
it takes me to another page and says Microsoft account. I don't have a damn Microsoft account. Mm-hmm. You know, that was not a requirement of having a Skype account. No, no. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, hopefully, hopefully, so, anyway, hopefully, I'm here. Yeah, well, hopefully your account stays uh, stays open while well, we're doing the show. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it just goes to show that uh, you, you put Microsoft in, you involve them in anything, and it goes to hell. Well, this is just, you know, this is a perfect example why somebody needs to get out there and, you know, create a uh, some competition, you know, uh, like a something similar to Skype, uh, but uh, without all of the uh, unnecessary garbage that that Skype has acquired. Yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. with with Microsoft's, uh, you know, purchase. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're now forcing you to open a Microsoft account, it looks like. I just clicked on the link and it says, one account for all things Microsoft. <laughs> so apparently, if you're a Skype user of many years, even though I'm using Skype right now, because I put credit on there, which is basically, they're basically stealing, they stole my credit, they stole my money. Um, now Microsoft is, it, is saying you have to be a Microsoft account holder to use Skype. Are you a Microsoft account holder, Tim? Not that I know of. <laughs> oh, gee. It's, it's a business. Excuse my French. Yeah, yeah. Not not that I know of. Now, you know, I do have I do have a Hotmail account, which is which is Microsoft. I've had a Hotmail account for years, so I don't know if that would, uh, you know, if they would go and you know include that as having a Microsoft account. You know, I mean, it it it, it, it gets so convoluted. Sometimes, um, you know, and I'm, and, and by no means am I, um, you know, a computer internet uh, phobe or, you know, or, or a virgin either when it comes to that. I mean, I've been using yeah. this stuff. I've been using this stuff for years and years and years. And a lot of times, you know, it even, you know, gobsmacks me. So, <laughs> uh, so we'll just we'll just we'll just have to wait and see. Probably right in the middle of the program. Then that's that's when Microsoft would decide, you know, that uh, that I need to uh, be a Microsoft <laughs> member and say, "Oh, wait a minute, let's cancel this call." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. I mean, I'm looking now. It looks like they sent me some email saying they were going to make my credit inactive because I haven't used it in so in 180 days. So you have to like get on there, just make a I guess a non Skype call. Call any phone or send a, send an SMS. So I guess I could have sent an SMS to myself, and uh, it would have kept my credit active. But I still consider it to be stealing. If, they, if well, you have credit, they take it. That's definitely. that's stealing your money. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there. I, I don't know. You need to uh, maybe maybe Google that and see if other people have had the same experience and if there's any way to get around it. You know, if. Uh, 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 if if there's a way, somebody has found it. <laughs> well, you know, it's typical. What can you say? Uh, uh, well, um, I, before uh, before we bring our guest on, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit uh, uh, tonight. There um, has been a report that's come out, and uh, you know, in previous episodes, I mean, we've talked about the Malaysian flight. Uh, you know, MH370 that, that that disappeared. Got to be more than a year year ago at this point, yeah. and uh, everybody has been looking into the uh, um, 
oh the 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 southern what would it be would it be the indian ocean or i'm not quite sure at that point it would be more off the coast of uh uh, Australia. I'm not quite sure yeah, how far yeah. the Indian Ocean, you know. Uh, well, did, didn't they find the recent piece of fuselage or wing or something? They, they found something that they found that a had wing, washed. wing flap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was over toward Africa, wasn't it? it yeah, walked, uh, Asc- Ascension Island. Yeah, which so uh, here's here's the thing though. I mean, let's say that the the plane went down. Something happened to the plane and mm-hmm. it crashed somewhere. That doesn't mean that parts of it could not have fallen in the ocean before it crashed. And then wherever the plane is located, if it's on land, could not be totally different than where that one piece ended up. The uh, um, the report is coming from an island in the Philippines called um, uh, Sugbai, I think is how you would pronounce it. And it's it's one of the, the, the southernmost uh, islands of the Philippines, and it's not that far from Malaysia. And I guess a, uh, um, uh, a kid and his friends had gone out bird hunting in the forest. And it was night, though, and they, but they came across this, uh, this plane that um, uh, still had uh, bodies in it and skeletons. They, the pilots were still in their seats, uh, still had their headphones on, and they said that they found a, uh, a Malaysian flag in the plane. Uh, yeah. Now you know this is this is a situation, and and I guess that uh, the the aunt of uh, of this boy went as far as to I guess take a boat to uh, I think it was Sumatra to make the report because she said that you know the uh, the authorities there on on that island wouldn't you know wouldn't have listened to her, which makes me think though that they must have found something. Why would somebody? Um, Go to that much trouble yeah. to, to 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 file a report. Well, this was a kid, you know, a teenager, yeah. I think, or or maybe even younger. And why would he make up something like that? People say well, kids lie. Well, no, I mean, he apparently didn't know anything about the actual Malaysian crash. He was just he just came home and said, "Hey, cool. Guess what? I found a crash plane in the forest." Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, now, now, it's, it's pretty strange. Naturally, the authorities say that, you know, it's unlikely that uh, debris has appeared on the Indian Ocean island of Reunion, as we just talked about, and is yeah. confirmed to belong to the Lost Plane. And would it be possible for that to be true uh, if uh, the plane actually went down, uh, you know, in on an island? On the opposite side. Philippines? Right, yeah. right. You're the South China Sea, yeah. yeah well, no, well sure, it's possible. Because if, if, let's say, for instance, that uh, um, someone shot the plane down. Mm-hmm. And they struck the plane. They hit the wing. Okay, before and and so over the ocean, right? And the debris falls into the ocean, but they try to attempt a landing on a nearby island. Here's the only question, though: Why would they have been at that island near the Philippines? Now that actually makes more sense than them going in the other direction because that flight was headed for China, mm-hmm. and the Philippines are just south of China, right. so. It would have made more sense for them to be in that area than to have been, you know, in the opposite directions that everybody was wondering, you know, why were they over there? Um, I don't know. It, it's very strange. Um, you know, at the same time, we see that, uh, you know, it was another Malaysian flight, obviously, that, that was shot down over uh, uh, Ukraine. Right. And they just confirmed this week that that one was shot down with a Russian-made missile. Mm-hmm. They actually had the proof, the evidence, the hard evidence that it was a Russian-made missile of, of the same type that had been given to the uh, uh, 
Russian sympathizers or Russia sympathizers in, in the Ukraine. Of course, Putin denies it, but uh, I'm sure he still does. But you know, it's just really strange that that two flights from Malaysian Air went down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't guess there are any others that could be missing. So, well, uh, there there what, there was a Malaysian airline that disappeared over the Pacific um, in 1962. That was never found. Uh, but you know the these kids, you know who 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 said that they found this plane in the jungles, said yeah. that uh, the skeleton, some of the skeletons still had flesh on them. Which, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I was, I was going to say if yeah. if it were in sixty two, yeah. the the bones would have been falling apart. You wouldn't even have skeletons anymore in a jungle environment. Right. Oh, I yeah. mean that, that would be anything in there but dirt. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I mean, so. it's an uh, uh, interesting story. I hope somebody. Uh, does an investigate a good investigation of this and not just write it off? That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that you know, you know, anybody's just going to say, "Oh, well, that's impossible. We're not even going to bother and look," which just frustrates the hell out of me in situations like this. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's same thing when it comes to you know, uh, you know, paranormal phenomena and you know, anything associated associated with that. You know, when you would have uh, the possibility of doing some good investigation, you know, instead have it just overturned because somebody says, well, we're not even going to bother with it because you know it's not true. Right. I just hate right. that. Right. It happens all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, uh, and, and if they never find the plane in the, uh, the, the, uh, the southern Indian Ocean, then it's going to be even more frustrating because, you know, here it's like, why? Well, you know, you had these kids who said they saw the plane there in, yeah. uh, in the Philippines and nobody ever went to look. And it's not going to be long considering the way, you know, a jungle environment is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even, even the, the microbes and the humidity would just, you know. There wouldn't have been anything left if it were from this from the sixties. So it would have to be a recent flight. Well, we'll just have, we'll just have to wait and see. I'll uh, uh, I'm going to keep my uh, um, my nose on this story. I wish uh, I wish this was a situation where <laughs> where I live closer, so I can look yeah. in, look into it myself. I mean, that's uh, you know those those are some that's a very hazardous environment. Those those islands. Um, oh, very much so. And that in that area, there you know there's still headhunters there and all kinds of stuff. So. Um, well, one yeah, of the, it's, not, it's not exactly the kind of place you can go ca- go camping, you know. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, I've uh, uh, over the years. The Moro I've, rebels are there. I've, you know, uh, I've been in, I've been in some uh, fairly dangerous situations. So, I mean, oh, that, I know, but you know, that, that that doesn't scare me. Of course, well, I mean, I'm a little bit older now. I mean, I'm not. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not well, the you impetuous know, twenty saying, year old. You know, <laughs> whoever finds out is going to have to have like you know some resources if they really want to find out. So. Well, and the woman who uh, uh, actually uh, took a ferry to uh, uh, to another island to make the report, she said that, you know, she wasn't going to report it there on the island because she said the police and the authorities, you know, walk around carrying submachine guns, and they're not very nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not a surprise. <laughs> so. Well, um, Mike, tonight's, uh, tonight's guest, I'm really um, – I'm really excited to have him on. We have uh, a Joshua Cutchin on, and he has written a book called A Trojan Feast, 
the food and drink offerings of aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch. And I mean, I, there you know, there's been articles written about this subject, but I you know, I can't think of anybody who has ever gone and written a whole book. About yeah, that's this. pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, the the whole idea of you know big part of the lore of both you know fairyland and and ufology is this offering of substances to to imbibe and it can alter your consciousness and even trap you there. So it's interesting that someone has finally done a book specifically on that topic. I'm trying to think, you know, um, possibly Jacques Vallée in some of his books, I mean, touched upon this subject. Right. Um, especially, you know, dealing with, with fairies and their their interactions, you know, with with people over the years, uh, right? I, I think that's probably where I got some of my first, uh, uh, you know, introductions. Right. Uh, and see, before I read Valier, I was reading like uh, Catherine Briggs, who's mm-hmm. a folklorist out of the UK, and and a whole bunch of other uh, folklorists, older folklorists like you know William Butler Yeats, Evan Wentz, all these other guys talking about. Uh, you know, the same type of stuff, the fairy ointment that you rub in the eye, which allows somebody to see, and you accidentally touch your eye, and then you can see things you're not supposed to see, and then mm-hmm. if they find out you can see them, they'll put your eye out, you know. Uh, things nice, like that, you know, yeah. th- these are all very old, old themes, and you still find these same themes today. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Everything old is new again. Yep. <laughs> well, okay. Let's or go ahead. Same old, same old. Same old, same old. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, we we may we may think you know we live in modern times, but it's just it's it's amazing how um, these old myths and legends um, stay with us. You know, they they may take on you know a, a different veneer, different clothes, but yeah. they're still the same. And I, you know, that's and to me that's that's just absolutely fascinating because you know people think that oh well you know we don't believe in stuff anymore we're all you know scientific and technology and you know we've disproven the gods and spirits and it's all just science and yet these stories these types of stories persist. Well, you know the the purely materialistic worldview. Yeah, the people think well if you can't quantify it with measurements it's not real, right. but actually if you can't measure it that doesn't mean it's not real it just means that your tools are insufficient <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i agree with that but uh you yeah. know there, there'll always be some scientist who will be like oh no our tools are just fine my tools uh, well fine. these are the, like, yeah, like my tools like, fine <laughs> well you know you and i have talked about it. i mean these same guys that, that spout all this super materialistic stuff they cannot deal with the fact that, you know, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle demonstrates beyond any doubt that consciousness affects the quantum realm, mm. that the quantum particles behave as if they know they're being observed and they they give you the, the results you expect. So as if they reacted to your expectations, but when you're not looking, they don't do that. So that's mysticism right there. That's uh, consciousness that's, that's uh, uh, disembodied, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Affecting the real world, things like that. So, you know, I mean, they can it, it, sooner or later they're going to have to face it. That's all there is to it. Right, right. 
Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's take our break now. And when we come back, we will be talking with Joshua Cutchin and his new book, A Trojan Feast. So I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott. You are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Stay tuned. We will be right back. I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. 
For more tax-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz. Only on PSN Radio. Back to the Outer Edge. I'm Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz and our special guest, Joshua Cutchin, who has written a remarkable book called A Trojan Feast, The Food and Drink Offerings of Alien, Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch. Joshua, how are you, buddy? I'm doing absolutely wonderfully, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Sure. We're glad to have you here. This, this book looks absolutely fascinating. I'll have to get a copy of it because it really looks like it's uh, right up my alley. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's it's uh, as I've told a couple people, it's it's sort of a book that I was waiting to read and no one ever wrote it, so I decided to write it myself. Yeah, it, it's important to uh, correlate this kind of data. I think I, you know, um, Tim and I were just talking before the break about how you know these ideas go all the way back. You know, I, my introduction to these ideas was not really through Jacques Vallier, who I read later um, as a young adult, but but even earlier when I was reading, you know. Uh, William Butler Yeats and, and Evan Wentz and uh, uh, other folklorists from the British Isles who talked about all these topics about fairy food and fairy ointment and, and so forth. And it was obvious to me then that something there's something to this because it correlated with some of the reports you get with ufology, like the, the uh, Villas Boas case, where he has to drink the drink and and you know and then he can initiate sexual contact with the with the hybrid and. You know, you find these similar things in the fairy lore where you, where, you know, you, people are taken captive, but after they have this drink or this food, and then often they can't ever leave if, once they have, have tasted of, of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where that's, I have friends who are like, do you really believe in all this stuff, Joshua? And I said, it's not really up to me to, to believe one way or the other. What I find fascinating and what no one can deny is that there are these vast similarities between different cultures and between what, you know, you take half the abductees that are out there. I, I doubt that they have read any of that fairy folklore until, you know, until yeah. maybe it's brought up to them after the fact. But when they have their right. first experience, they, they're, they're saying some of these things that are right along with uh, with some of these some of these ancient fairy tales. Yeah, the idea was that if, if you were walking along a country lane at night and you encountered a fairy, a member of the fae folk, and they gave you something to eat or drink, 
and you accepted it and ate or drank it, you would be trapped with them forever. And my, uh, my real interest in this was, was, was peaked. Well, it, it had been peaked for a while because I felt like it was a really interesting, uh, phenomenon with the way that certain abductees in the modern era are given food and drink during their encounters. But the real light bulb moment for me and the moment that I knew that I had to write this book was when I was reading, uh, J. Robert Alley's Raincoast Sasquatch. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's a great book. Um, but he talks about some, uh, First Nations folks in, some First Nations tribes in, uh, North America who believed that a Sasquatch gave you food and you accepted, you were trapped with Sasquatch forever. And that's such a clear parallel. Oh yeah. It is. <laughs> I, had, I, had to, I had to stand back and go, wait a minute, this, these two cultures separated from, by an entire ocean having this same idea. Is there something more at play there? Now what that is, if it's just, you know, a universal archetype or if it's something, um, or if it's something greater than that, I'm not right. sure. But but that's 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 too startling of a coincidence for me. So that's that was really the genesis of the whole project. Well, think about this too. I mean, in, in uh, the book of Exodus, you have this UFO because that's what it is. It's called a a, a column of fire by night and a, and a column of of, uh, of cloud or smoke by day. And the Israelites follow this thing across the across the desert and. The whole time they're in the desert, even after that, food is given to them. It just falls out of the sky. and It's just like this pasty stuff that sustains them. It's not great food or anything, but it's something that's just given to them to eat, probably like some kind of starch you know, or something like that. And then there's this case that took place in the Midwest. Uh, Tim knows what I'm talking about, I think, um, where this farmer <laughs> encounters... I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's these so-called aliens, but they're basically just little, little, little guys. I mean, they're not creatures or anything. They're little humans of some sort. And they're in this craft and they're making pancakes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. And they I give him one, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it, no. There, there's a there's a real link there. I think in terms of that, those those two are the uh, are by far the most familiar or the most famous uh, entity food cases, as it were. Uh, both the manna from the Israelites and the case that you mentioned. The case that you mentioned is the one that everybody always talks about. Is um is the case of Joe Simonton from Eagle River, Wisconsin. Right. Uh, the year was, uh, 1960. Oh, I've said this enough times you'd think I'd know. 1961. And he was, uh, cooking breakfast in his kitchen and he hears some sort of strange sound outside, goes outside, sees this craft with these three little short guys in, in, inside that he said sort of looked like Italians. <laughs> because yeah. he's this nice, simple Midwestern farmer. Um, and then one of them held a jug aloft and, and made it look like they wanted some water. So being, again, a good guy, from Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. I spent four years there and it's one of my favorite places on the planet. And this totally sounds like what somebody from Wisconsin would do. Um, he, well, he goes outside and he fetches their pail and he fills it up with water and he brings it back to them. And once he brings it back, he notices that they're cooking these, uh, uh four, uh, sort of, well, you'll hear them sometimes described as cookies, sometimes as pancakes. Um, but, uh, but they gave him those in exchange for the water. And one went to Jayon Hynek, one went to NICAP, and, uh, one went to a local judge, and Simonton kept one for himself. I've heard some rumors since I released this book that there is one in a glass case underground at Wright Patterson. I don't know if that's the case or not. <laughs> well, that seems like a bit extreme, but they did some tests and it was just found to be like buckwheat or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was found to be completely mundane. Um, 
Uh, the interesting thing where this ties in again with, with fairy lore is that, uh, is that, you know, fairies would tend to cloak their food with glamour. So when people, when the fairies gave you this food, it wasn't really food. It was usually like twigs and leaves and worms and grass, et cetera. Right. Um, which also, as an aside, uh, in some, uh, First Nations uh, literature, Sasquatch would give you what appeared to be dried salmon. It was actually the bark of a tree that they had disguised. Right. Um, exactly. well, well, even like when they would, when they would, uh, when people would obtain what they thought were, were, uh, riches, like gold and jewelry, they would get home and have pockets full of stones or leaves or something. Exactly. It's it's the same sort of concept. So, you know, and Simonton said that these these pancakes were pretty much tasteless. And I wonder if there's not some sort of connection there between this, you know, this looking appetizing and it not really being appetizing. But even more striking is that there is a uh, legend in the Friesland Islands off the coast of uh, Germany and and the Netherlands where they believe that a specific race of fairy folk, because there are multiple races, a specific race of fairy folk would actually uh, help farmers out in the field by uh, bringing them fresh fresh water to drink and pancakes to eat. Hmm. So <laughs> that's a, a wonderful little tidbit that I found that, wow. that made me sit, sit back and go, what are we really dealing with here? Yeah. Um, well, you know, if you think about what you just said about it being tasteless, because I, I remember that, and uh, that was one of the big complaints that the Israelites had about the manna they had to eat. You know, it was basically just something to eat. It wasn't, there was nothing, other than the fact that it kept them alive, it wasn't an enjoyable food item. Yeah, sustenance alone. Yeah. 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 Well, I wonder if uh Symington, if if he would have tasted the pancakes while he was still on board, whether or not he would have reported that they were the best tasting uh, things that he had ever had. See, this is why I'm glad I'm talking with you gentlemen because, you know, every I'm I'm not against a nuts and bolts uh, UFO hypothesis, but I think that if you think that that is the absolute answer, you're not really paying attention to a lot of the data. Right. And I think we need to be prepared to wade into these sort of uh, murky areas. And that's exactly the sort of question that I would have, you know, would he yeah. still be under the influence of something if he were or on the craft? Or and, would he have been allowed to leave? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and of course, yeah. and of course that's the flip side of this is that <laughs> there are all these accounts and, uh, and, you know, ab- most abductees are allowed to leave. So what I sort of try to tease out of that idea is that, well, A, the people who would who would accept this wouldn't be coming back to tell their story. So <laughs> we have to yeah. go with the people who, who have. But B, I think, that, uh, I think that the idea of never returning home is open to a little bit of interpretation. Um, you know, there are certain tales of people who would eat or drink fairy food and go mad. Or there are certain tale, you know, or you could look at it, the idea of, of someone being given this food or drink and their lives are forever changed. They can never go home. They can never go back to the way that things once were. So I think that that's open to a little, at least a little bit of interpretation. Um, if we want to play fast and loose with that. Well, you mean you look at something else that Tim and I had talked about right before the break, before we brought you on, which is the, the whole fairy ointment thing, you know, where somebody, uh, a midwife or whoever it is, is, is taken to take care of a, a sick fairy or a fairy child, you know, usually in the underworld somehow or, in, un, you know, under the surface of the earth. And, and while they're there, they're given medicines and stuff and they, they rub the medicine on the fairy or in its eyes or whatever. And at some point, the, the, the person that's been abducted, and you have to ask yourself, why is this person even there really? Unless they're meant to have this experience. Uh, but anyway, they, they, they accidentally touch their eye with their finger and get a little bit of this stuff on their eye. Then they're taken back to the up, upper world. You know the story. Yeah, then, no, absolutely. You know, no, you know, six months later or something, or a year later, they're at a fair and 
they can see the fairies and nobody else can see them. They can see these, these humanoids walking around, stealing stuff, you know, pinching ladies' bottoms, whatever they're doing. And they, and they walk and often they'll see the same person that they interacted with, you know, in the other world. They'll walk up and say, Hey, how are you doing? I hadn't seen you, you know, and the person, you can see me. And they'll say, Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I say, which eye do you see me with? And then they'll say, oh, this one. And then they'll stab their, stab their eye out or rip their eye out or something. Yeah, as, as punishment. No, totally. Um, yeah. And yeah. what's interesting to me is I imagine my surprise, again, when I found some uh, Pacific Northwest uh, Indian tribes that felt that whenever Sasquatch would take you to its lair, it must first slap tree gum on your eyes, um, which is another... Another ridiculous parallel that I don't think even makes sense that it exists. It's, it's too too tidy, um, and of course, I mean, it's amazing that it that it exists that that parallel exists. That's amazing. Yeah, it, and it's um, and you know, we're spinning out of this. I really wanted to present hard facts and numbers in this book, but it just became impossible because you know you'd have people who were a lot of contactee experiences where someone, well, Orfeo Angelucci, being given a pill, he drops it into his drink, it makes him see all sorts of crazy things. Well, is that do we categorize that as, as, a, as an earthly drink? Do we categorize it as water? Do we categorize it as a, as a pill? And, you know, similarly with, with uh, ointments, I mean, if you're looking at the idea of substances being administered for an effect, ointments would fall into that category um, and injections would fall into that category. So it became a little bit, a little bit too nebulous for me to present hard facts. But some, some trends did emerge over the course of the study uh, that I think sort of point in an interesting direction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's 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 pretty wild. Well, um, I, I think I think also about um, George Damsky in uh, several of his books. You know, he wrote about how when he would uh, travel with his uh, so-called uh, uh, space brothers, and they would offer him uh, uh, food and drink. And, uh, you know, like the fruit that they would offer him, naturally it would be just the, the biggest and the, the best and the sweetest fruit that he had ever had. The drinks that he was given, uh, there would be no earthly comparison to. And you just, you know, you read these stories uh, that, that, that he wrote about. You know, whether or not you believe that he actually had these experiences or not, it still, it smacks right back into the folklore that has been yeah. circulating, you know, within, you know, humanity for thousands of years. Well, that's what they said, you know, the, the you know, even go back to the, the food of the gods. I mean, uh, even on Olympus, you know, they, uh, what, what, their foods were uh, nectar and what was the other thing? There were two things they, ambrosia. ambrosia. Mm-hmm. Nectar and ambrosia, you know, something that was so great that, that, you know, humans just, I mean, if you tasted it, it was just, you know, it was beyond your comprehension how good it was, and it's the same story. You know, it's the same thing that in, in fairy lore with uh, the fairy food. You know, it's so enticing and it's so good, but don't you dare taste it. You know, so yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, with Adamski, regardless of you know, the farther along I get into this, I'm I'm knee deep into book number two, and, and the less I tend to care about whether a story is true or not. Not meaning that I like to put you know literal falsehoods into into what I write and I try to go in with eyes open but sometimes to me it's more interesting what was perceived or what someone says is perceived as exactly as opposed to what, ex- objectively what happened um, the interesting thing with the Damsky I didn't really write about his experiences in the book but the receiving of fruit is totally in line with all the other trends that uh, that sort of emerged um, you know it, generally speaking uh, this is this is a very general way of speaking but generally speaking you know abductions are involuntary um, 
food is consumed under duress. The food is usually a liquid, um, and uh, it's usually foul-tasting. Uh, in contactee stories, it's usually voluntary. Again, fitting with the character of the entire experience. Um, the food is consumed voluntarily. It's usually uh, a fruit or sometimes a liquid. And uh, is usually like the best tasting thing that they've ever tasted. So it's interesting to see how his 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 particular account sort of falls in line with that overall trend, regardless of its actual veracity. Right. And people need to remember too that when it comes to glamour and illusion, you know, you have this whole concept going back uh, through the centuries of, of these beings being able to make themselves handsome, beautiful, sexually alluring, and then the reality is often not quite. <laughs> <laughs> not quite that way at all. Exactly. And the, and the parallel is the same with uh, a lot of UFO encounters where these beings cloak themselves as supposedly as, as, as regular people or even attractive people in order to get what they want. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's something deeply, there's something that interacts with us at a very, uh, deep level. And is able to really change the way that we perceive perceive the world. And I think part of that is is there is the the action of the other intelligence, and yeah. part of that is you know what we bring to the experience as well. Now, just to be entirely clear, I try to say this every time every time I appear. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that all aliens are fairies. I'm not saying that all fairies are aliens. I'm not saying that any of this exists. I'm not saying that Bigfoot is a fairy. None of these things. What I am saying is that similar methods are used in a lot of these phenomena. And if you can't admit to that, then you're just not paying attention. And you're not being honest with yourself. So I think that, you know, maybe these are, to me, it's less about a pie graph and more about a Venn diagram, you know, where these things overlap. Um, right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also a matter of, uh, of labels. I mean, different masks for same old players over the centuries. I mean, it's something, you know, that I looked at in, in one of my books is that, the 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 presentation may change or the interpretation may change but really you're talking about the same group of characters the same cast you can call them whatever you want to you know you could call them uh, nephilim fairies ultra terrestrials but they're all the same bunch yeah have you seen the new um have you seen the new uh cover that on the reissue of passport to magonia uh no it's great. You should check it out. Like it's 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 the one piece of UFO art that I might ever want. <laughs> I might ever want to have uh, to have framed. Um, it's released by Daily Grail now, but it's um, actually it's a picture on the front of a gray, and he's holding three masks, and one is a demon, one is a, a fair lady, and one is like a 1950s three-eyed alien with two antenna. Um, and I was talking with my good friend Red Pill Junkie, and apparently there's a portion of the of the picture that's cut off, which makes it even better. Which is apparently the gray itself is a puppet on a hand. <laughs> so I just love that idea. That, wow, the more, that's yeah, awesome! You, you've got to take a look at it. It's great, and I love the idea that the more that you peel back these uh, these layers, the more that you keep on finding that there's something else behind it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's you know, I had somebody talk to me recently. She she's had experiences like this her whole life, and she was writing me some you know some messages about it and stuff, and sending me emails, and she told me about how. She finally said, just go with it one time and, and see where it took her, no matter how scary it was. And of course it was, you know, supposedly, um, one thing. And then she reaches up and basically pulls the face off and it was something else entirely. <laughs> and then she reaches up, pulls the face off again. And then it was something else, you know, I mean, like Russian nesting dolls or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hmm. 
So now, what uh, uh, what was it that uh, that that finally catapulted you, Joshua, into uh, writing this book? Well, you know, I I had noticed that similarity, and I'd been noticing these similarities for a while, of people being given something, um, you know, in, especially in abduction reports and whatnot. In each one of these accounts, fairies and uh, and UFO abductions, and, and to a lesser degree, Sasquatch. Um, a lot of times, when people report being offered something. It takes place in a very short span of time. So to me, it was this, this, this implication that this is not for sustenance. This is being done to produce an effect. And therefore, there might be something more important to talk about here. So I reached out to somebody who I perceived would be a, a kindred spirit, Micah Hanks. Um, he lives two and a half hours from me and he and I uh, share a lot in common. We're both musicians. We're both from North Carolina. We both, uh, were raised in the Episcopal Church. Um, so I actually reached out to him and said, Hey, look, here's an idea that I have. Um, I've noticed this. I don't think anybody's ever written about this, right? And Micah wrote back very enthusiastically and said, no, you know, chapters have been written, but nobody's ever dedicated an entire book to this subject. I think that there's a lot here. Here's some other directions to look in. I think that this is a, a fantastic idea. So Micah was really the, the one who gave me the, uh, the, the shove out the door. Much like he was the, uh, <laughs> he was the Gandalf to my Bobo Baggins, um, pushing me out the door and, and making me, uh, making me, uh, giving me the, the courage to, to take this on. Because I never really thought that I could do something like this, and uh, it's I'm I'm very pleased with uh, with the way that it turned out. Well, I take it then that you've been uh, interested in the paranormal phenomena then before uh, you decided to take this book on. Yeah, this is this is where I say that I saw Bigfoot when I was 19, right? Um, <laughs> no, um, I, uh, I I I sort of grew up as a as a, a monster kid. You know, these kids who are just love everything with monsters and dinosaurs. You know, yep, that was um, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that's where a lot of my interest stemmed, and I had a very um, I had a, had a have a very uh, open family. It's in fact, it's been sort of bewildering to me to talk to other people about this in my life and see the sort of looks of confusion that they give me. Because in my family, this is something like, "Yeah, why not entertain the notion? This is a cool idea. Let's run with this. Let's think about this." So my dad and my mom were both very supportive of me reading, you know, crazy things like this. Um, I, I say crazy with all the love in my heart. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so I, I was always sort of interested in these things and. And again, you know, I, I've read uh, books here and there, not nearly as much as I've read in the past two years. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I've always been interested in these things and I thought that this would make a great idea for, for something to, for people to discuss. And I thought that it would, it would be a, a real contribution. So, uh, yeah, it's sort of a lifelong interest that I've, I've only recently fully embraced. And, uh, every now and then I have to step back and say, okay, take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> because it's easy to get lost in all this, and it's easy to think about this. I mean, there's so many different facets, um, and and when you think about it, it it really affects the way that you perceive the world, um, you know. And so there's so many different facets to this that you can sort of get yourself lost in thought quite quite easily. And, and what's the re- what's the reaction that uh, that you've received so far from uh, people who've read the books and you know, other pundits? <laughs> <laughs> better better than I could have ever hoped. Um, you know, I I uh, was actually talking with Mike about this last time we got together back in July. Um, when I was a young boy, I used to carry around uh, Jerome Clark's The Unexplained. And yeah. this is back in middle school. Yeah, and, a great book. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. it's a great book, and I just I ate it up. And if you look at my copy of the Unexplained today, it's covered in clear packing tape where my mom had to repair the the cover because I just wore the cover off of it. And now, flash forward, you know, to to me as a thirty year old man, and I 
have a review in the 14 Times from Jerome Clark, who had very, very kind things to say about it. It's just the most humbling experience I can imagine. Um, on a similar level, uh, and Nick Redfern's had some very kind things to say that I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm entirely deserving of. Uh, he posted a uh, re- uh, review at uh, Mysterious Universe. So, by and large, um, it's been it's been very well received, uh, uh, at least in in my opinion. Um, it's 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 exciting and terrifying at the same time because how do I follow this up? Um, but uh, you know, and of course, there you have a couple of pedantic reviews that you know say on page ninety three, you said. Britain, you meant to say the British Isles, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah always. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not. Sorry, my hundreds of pages aren't spotless. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been. I've been overall. I have been completely humbled and overwhelmed by uh, the amount of interest and the amount of uh, of of good things people have had to say. One of the things uh, I just uh, uh, recently read. Um uh, and, I, and, I, and I think you wrote the article for uh, Fortean Times, uh, uh, based based yeah. on your book. Yeah, that was that was the, that was actually um, uh, an, uh, an abridged excerpt uh, mm. from my book. It, you know, uh, occasionally in chapters, I'll reference something from other chapters or in future chapters, and they sort of took those out and tightened it up a little bit, and had some great selections of uh, photos and imagers that they that they chose. I, I'm really. Uh, I really would kind of hate that I didn't include any 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 illustrations in this book after seeing that because it was such a <laughs> such a good selection, very very well done. I'm again, it's completely crazy. It's one of those days where you wake up and you're like, oh yeah, there's an excerpt from my book appearing in fourteen times. What planet am I on? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there was a section in there where you wrote about um, uh, the the experience where you know people would leave out say you know like a, a milk or bread uh, for the fairies and even though the next day that would all still be there uh, the the idea was that the essence of this food had been taken okay now I'm going to take this take this a step further there was uh, an account uh, it was in south america i think where uh, people saw some kind of uh, you know entities uh walking amongst theirs what was it was it alpacas and um oh yeah uh, llamas yeah llamas okay and that uh, the next day when they went out there uh, a bunch of them were uh, were discovered dead and they they went ahead and uh, I guess butchered uh, one of the dead animals and tried to eat it and found that the the flesh was just absolutely uh, inedible, which makes me think about the numerous cattle mutilations that have taken place over the years here in the United States, where after um, a cow is found um, uh, strangely mutilated, it's never touched uh, by predators. No, I, ab- you are <laughs> circle gets the square. You're absolutely on. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I sometimes like to leave these little breadcrumbs for people and let them piece some things together. And uh, that's absolutely a parallel. You know, um, a lot of times when these offerings would be left out for fairies, like if say you were to leave some milk out, they would come by and they wouldn't actually drink the milk. They would eat the foison, which was the essence of exactly the, uh, of, of of the food. And uh, which <laughs> which of course you know checking. You know, gut check. Does that just mean that it's a convenient folkloric way of explaining why the milk is still there the next morning? Well, probably. Um, but there are plenty of anecdotal reports of uh, people whose um, whose pets either avoid this offering after it's been deprived of its essence, or pets that have consumed 
the milk or the the food or whatever was that was left out and become extremely sick. Um, so so could it be a substitute? Yeah, I mean, in other words, the, the good stuff is taken and something that looks like it is left in its place. Kind of like the whole changeling phenomenon, you know, a food changeling. You know, I hadn't I hadn't really uh, yeah. considered that, but that's that's a good point yeah. too. Um, yeah. So I so it, and again, I, that's something that I hadn't hadn't really ever seen too many people completely connect those dots between livestock mutilation and uh, and and this idea of of food deprived of its essence. But uh, you know, it's 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 there. It's there. Um, you know, and, and, and the idea, I mean, there are plenty of fairy stories about fairies coming in and, uh, and, uh, butchering cattle from the inside and putting them back together yeah. so that, so that they appear the same way, but they're missing a little extra something. So, and yeah, that, that particular case in Chile that you mentioned with the llamas, um, there was some sort of creature floating through a pasture and it was, it was, uh, you know, exsanguinating their llamas and they would try to eat it and they couldn't. And the vultures even that ate it supposedly, uh, vomited as well. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, some nice little connections there that really make yeah, you stop and scratch your head. I don't know if, have, have you ever read, uh, Popular Tales of the West Highlands by Campbell? No. Yeah, I you need to. to check it out. It's four, it's four volumes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit, and, and it's in both English and Gaelic. Um, but anyway, oh, wow. it's, it's really good stuff and, and it's, you know, stuff in the Scottish Highlands, obviously, and, and, uh, it's got a lot of tales about, uh, fairy cattle thieves and the things that they do to the cattle and it, it ties right in with what you're talking about and with your research in general there's a lot of stuff in there that, that probably would tie in yeah I, would, I, I need to check that out then I'll put that on my list because like I said I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to you know once once a book comes out called A Trojan Feast, The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch. You're not getting away from that anytime soon. <laughs> so yeah. I decided, you know, I decided the best the best thing, and the thing that really, you know, uh, meant something to me would be to double down on it. So I'm writing other books, so I definitely would like to take a look at that to see if I can't find some, uh, some extra support in there for that. Well, you know, it reminds me also of... Um uh, uh, voodoo, spiritist, uh, and and other types of uh, religions, especially in the uh, Caribbean, South America, where uh, they they will leave, you know, like food offerings out a lot of times outside of a building. You know, uh, there'll be food and candles and things like that, and uh, no one will touch it. I mean, even uh, homeless and, and destitute people who, who live in the area will not touch that food. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've seen a I've seen a, uh, a twenty dollar bill sitting on the uh, the tombstone of Marie Laveau in St. Louis Cemetery at the height of tourist season, and no one no one touches it. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I mean, and it's like, uh, um, and, and I would love, uh, I, you know, I, I guess I need to do uh, some research myself. I'd love to hear some stories if maybe uh, uh, anybody did. <laughs> I would. I'd take it. <laughs> I'd take it. And I'd say, uh, Marie Laveau bought me lunch. Nice, nice. Well, be- better thee than me. I'm not. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not about to do that. You I'm, know, it's, I'm it's, the same way. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like it's like one of my old favorite sayings is. Uh, is uh, trust in God, but lock your car. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> sort of do everything you can to stay to keep your nose clean. You know. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, it's just a point that that uh, uh, it depends on the on the the spin that you put on it. Even right. perhaps in the unseen world. Right. Right. 
Okay. <laughs> well, I could uh, uh, I could think of um, here in Indiana, and, and I've talked about this uh, uh, before. Uh, the uh, um, the the little uh, uh, creatures called the Pukuji. And mm-hmm. uh, who especially, I mean, they live up, uh, or, you know, they, they supposedly lived up around what's now central Indiana. Uh, but, I mean, the stories would uh, would have it that um, if you ran across them, uh, you had, like, uh, generally just a couple of uh, uh, possibilities with them. One, they would cut your throat. And the other is that, that they would offer you a, uh, a porridge uh, to eat, but that you better not eat it. <laughs> mm, interesting. Uh, I hadn't, hadn't run across that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was a story. I mean, uh, that uh, and this supposedly happened. I mean, within the beginning of the uh, the twentieth century, where a local farmer uh, around the White River had cut down a tree that supposedly um, uh, the the Pukuji lived underneath, and as he was in the process of cutting it down, they swarmed out and uh, and cut his throat, and he managed to survive. Uh, but uh, I mean, he he had uh, the the scar in his throat, I guess, to huh. uh, to, to prove his story. So yeah. when did this supposedly happen? What, what, what was it? The twentieth century? Uh, yeah, right, like right around the turn of the twentieth century, around nineteen hundred or so. You know, according to it, it's uh, interesting because, it, well, in Ireland, for instance, you know there are there are uh, growth, you know, uh, blackthorn thickets that are sacred to the fairies and you don't mess with them you don't cut them you don't you know whatever there are oak trees that are sacred to certain um uh, celtic deities and things like this and and you know the spirit of the place type entities um and i've always found that you know same thing in iceland you know certain rocks you don't move and 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 stuff because the elves live under them and, and things like this i have to wonder you know if we don't if there is any truth to any of this if we don't give them power by adhering to such rules and strictures. Interesting idea. Interesting idea. You know, I think that I think that uh, in some ways we do. And the way that I would sort of couch that is to say that you know the fact that these things are less in our lives uh, nowadays is probably evidence for that. You know, the, the fact that we don't. Um, we aren't worried about going into the woods and encountering fairies. Uh, probably would seem to would seem to give them less power because people don't encounter fairies. Um, yeah, you know the work of David Pilatus, not ex- <laughs> notwithstanding. Um, but but uh, well, look, even but, his work has some stuff that ties in with this. He won't say that because he's a police guy, and that's what he does. He's hard nosed, you know investigator but there's the story that comes to mind is where the woman's being grabbed by what looks like a giant hairy disembodied arm and there's a voice like is there as if it's telling the arm what to do it's it's grabbing at her or trying to grab her and a voice is saying yeah this one get this one or something like that so right. you know that's that's right out of fairy lore well you know uh, a lot of i've had a lot of people bring up similarities between that and what i've looked at because you know you have ideas of uh ideas of or stories rather of some of these children going out berry picking and winding up uh in in yeah. winding up you know being taken for some extended amount of time and you know it's i had to man i tell you what i had to draw the line somewhere uh because it's just you could just sort of spiral out into this so this book really focused on uh focused on the offering of 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 these foods like direct 
through direct offering. But uh, I think well, there's a lot of different ways that you can go with that. And I'd love the chance to talk to David at some point. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get the chance, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like within, within my, I mean, his latest book, uh, talking about, uh, talking about, you know, young people going out drinking in the city and, and failing to return home and winding up dead, um, has some parallels with fairy lore too. I mean, you look at people, I address this briefly in the book, fairies tend to love picking on drunk people. You know, mm. being fairy struck was a term for not only being, uh, bewildered by fairies, but also, uh, for having, having had too much to drink. So yep. I think that, uh, which, which ties in well with those who want to discredit. You know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. Are, are they targeted because something about them has made their, them lose their guard, or are they targeted because you know it's people? It's easy for people to not uh, to not uh, take their words seriously. And I think that to me, from the, the only thing that I can possibly wrap my head around as a through line through all these his different work is is fairy lore. Now, you know, I don't think necessarily that he even should come out and say that. I'm pretty sure he doesn't think that, but I'm pretty sure. No, I don't think he should come out and say it because, to his credit, he's been able to avoid, um, you know, putting a label on this, which I think is extremely admirable in an era where we have, you know, ancient aliens and whatnot on TV. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's true. I think that uh, he's trying to he's trying to hedge his bets a little bit, and uh, I I think that uh, he probably has some suspicions on his own, but. Um, at risk of having all of his research just completely, what's what's the word I'm thinking here, Mike? Um, uh, discred- um, discredited. You know, he's not going to go or and just, say, or even you know, just undermined. You know, undermined, uh, right? Yeah. Because because he he comes out and says, I think it's so and so, and everybody starts uh, viewing what he's writing about through that lens. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's 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 been interesting. I think his work is sort of like a. Uh, a real mirror for the people reading it, you know. If you if you are a Sasquatch fan, you see Sasquatch everywhere. If you see if you see aliens, you see aliens in it all. Um, yeah, so, if, yeah. If if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, and that uh, um, you know, you brought up you brought up a very good point when you talked earlier about people asking you if you really believed in all of this stuff. And I mean, I know that this is something that, that, that I've had to, to deal with, uh, you know, considering all, all the different types of books that I have, that I have written over the years. And, and I get the very same thing. And it's just, you know, it's, it's at, at times it's hard to come up with really a good answer because, you know, I generally tend to tell people like, well, you know, really, I don't believe in anything. I say, you know, if if you start believing in something, then then any evidence that is contrary to what you believe in, you're not going to pay attention to. You know? Right. right. So, someone. Well, oh, well, go you, ahead. Sorry. Just I was going to say, you just have to show what the parallels are, show what the patterns are. You know, it is your take should be: Could this be what's going on? Yes. Does this indicate this? And then let the reader decide. Yeah, I. I that's why I tried in the last the last chapter of my book is, is probably a, a a trend or a, a model that I'll follow in the future. But uh, 
In the last chapter of my book, I mentioned, you know, is, is the only chapter that I actually use first person because everything up until then, I'm just trying to present stuff as objectively as possible. And then just to be clear, this is my opinion. This chapter is my opinion in the way that I've pieced it together or an, an, an idea that I've pieced together because I'm sure that that'll change, uh, as time goes on. Um, but a lot of this reminds me of, uh, of the thinking of one of my real heroes in this subject, who is uh, Greg Bishop, who uh, mm-hmm. talks a lot of times about the excluded middle, <laughs> you know, because so often we live in, we're encountering in this world, you know, this really binary system of thinking about, about things, you know, you're either a Republican or you're a Democrat. What do you mean you're in the middle? You know, you're either, <laughs> you know, you're either yeah. pro-abortion or you're pro-life. You're either, you know, anti-gun or pro-gun. And I, I feel like it's, it's, you know, the, the excluded middle. I feel like it's, it's, for some reason, it's really difficult for people to wrap their heads around the fact that you can have these nuanced opinions and that you can be, you know, when you, you can, you can write a book like this and still be completely agnostic as to the objective reality of the phenomena. I find that really hard. Right. The only thing that I'll ever come down and out really hard and say is that I think that there is an objective, third-party intelligence that interacts with mankind, whether that's yeah. spiritual, whether it's extraterrestrial, whether it's elemental, I, I do not know, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a Christian myself, but I, I, I tend to have a wide enough, um, perspective of the world that I can, you know, allow for some, some, uh, gray, some shades of gray. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's like Tim and I've talked about here, you know, before it's just that, as soon as you commit and say, "Okay, I figured it out," right, it changes. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's 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 like well, again, it's that trickster thing. It's like it exists just to undermine you. You know, it, it, it just enough just enough physical evidence to make the skeptics look like idiots, and just enough lack of physical evidence to make uh, the true believers look like idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it's always been that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the same now as it was in the Middle Ages. Except in the Middle Ages, if you told these stories, you ran the risk of being labeled uh, a practitioner of witchcraft. Yep, yep, exactly. Oh, and you know, and I'm not sure that. I mean, but in in how many ways has it really changed? I mean, I I have applied for jobs before since I wrote this book, and I'm not entirely sure that I haven't gotten interviews because they did a Google search and found the stuff on me. You know, I think, I think that in some ways we've shifted it from actually burning people at the stake to just putting them off in a corner and not talking to them when they're interested. Yeah, yeah, you do see that a lot. You do. I mean, it's like, uh, um, if you do, if you're at all outside of the, the, uh, the, the status quo, you're gonna, you're gonna run into that. I mean, we, I'm sure we all do. All of us yeah. topics. I mean, although I think it's I think it's better than it has been, you know, for a while. I think that you know, I think that uh, people will not look at you as a complete idiot if you talk about Bigfoot nowadays. Um, you know, I think they they're a little bit more open to that than they once were. Well, you know, when it comes to the nonfiction stuff, you know, I, I think of myself as a folklorist. Exactly. All the, it's, yeah. All this stuff is folklore. Even you know. Today, when somebody has a weird encounter with a UFO or a hairy humanoid, or they think they do, or they believe that they have, I mean, it all becomes part of the the, the update, the ongoing update of 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 humanity's folklore system. And yeah. does that mean does that mean it's not real or it didn't happen? No, it doesn't mean that at all. You know, I mean, Billy the Kid is now part of folklore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think that there's there's 
<laughs> there's a little bit of science and mythology and a little and a little bit of mythology and science. Um, yep. And I think that, you know, I, I think that what people have a hard time believing is that they might actually be witnessing the creation of a new era of mythology with a lot of these encounters, you know? Absolutely. And, I, and again, I guess, like I said in the beginning, to me, the objective, the objective reality of, of some of these encounters is less important than what it says about our perceptions as a culture, what it says about the, the percipient. And, uh, you know, it, to, to me, I get really interested when I see common trends across multiple cultures, across multiple people. That's when I really, my ears really prick up. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be beyond coincidence a lot of times when you have these types of uh, um, uh, multiple events, multiple folk- folklores, like you said, across oceans or, you know, just uh, you know, on the other side of uh, mountains. Yeah, you know, with, with this uh, with this food taboo, as I ended up calling it, the idea that if you took, ate food from an entity, you'd be trapped with an entity forever. I think there is some validity to the commonly held anthropological view that a lot of these beliefs are the outgrowth of the myth of Persephone, who was uh, taken by Hades uh, to the underworld and was uh, released. But just before she was released, he gave her a cursed pomegranate seed. And by consuming the seed, she was imprisoned underneath the ground for eternity, only able to emerge every spring uh, to meet right. her mother. I think that I think that works great in Eurasia and uh, you know, and even I'll give you through the Arabian Peninsula and through Africa, but that that explanation does not hold water for me when you're talking about people on the other side of the planet. Right. Um, I mean, of course, this is where the diffusionists run in. No, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> which I think is, which I think is, which I think is. Well, you know, you know I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a diffusionist, but I don't see how that could relate to similar legends, say, from the Solomon Islands. Right. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, it's it's just it's such a pervasive, widespread belief that I think that there's yeah. there's something more to it than just that. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, um, it is time for us to uh, to take our uh, our next break. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way, and uh, we'll continue this conversation when we come back. So uh, I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott. Tonight our guest is Joshua Cutchen, and we are talking about a Trojan feast. So please stay tuned. We've got uh, a lot more interesting stuff coming up. We'll be right back. Yeah. 
Spells. Here for the first time in the inspired pages of Bible Spells, Reverend William Orabello unveils a concealed code hidden throughout the Holy Scriptures that can bring you an abundance of money, personal success, as well as love, good luck, healing, happiness, and protection of your home as well as loved ones. More important than the Bible code or Nostradamus' prophecies, this secret code was revealed to Reverend Orabello during an encounter with divine supernatural beings who changed his life forever. Now you can learn this unique system yourself to materialize all of your personal needs and influence others. Order William Orabello's Bible Spells from Amazon.com. Or get your copy, a free Bizarre Bazaar subscription, as well as a bonus companion DVD for $20 with free shipping and handling by calling 646-331-6777. 646-331-6777. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Wait, wait, Mom, what? What? What'd you say? Wait a second, what? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks! Radio Loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the Radio Loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then, you keep on listening like you already do. But now, you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for stuff in the Radio Loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the New Players App Store. Pretty simple, right? Radio Loyalty. Click that banner to join now. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio.
Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Tonight we're talking with Joshua Cutchin and uh, his book, A Trojan Feast. And uh, Joshua, you know, uh, talking about all this, I mean, it just, I can't help but think about how how food, and, and, and I suppose naturally enough, how food has played um, such an important role in in humanity's mythologies and, and legends. Um, I mean, it, it, it only makes sense. I mean, anything that's important to us, I mean, we're going to have, you know, like, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, spirituality surrounding it. I mean, you know, you look at the sun and uh, the, the the types of uh, uh, sun sun religions. So, I mean, and now you have, uh, talking about food, I think about, especially in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the, uh, the the sacrifices that were being that were made to Jehovah's that generally involved uh, meat and the uh, um, um, uh, with uh, um, Adam and Eve's children. You know, one uh, gave a sacrifice of crops and the other one of uh, of meat, and then God favored uh, the meat over the crops. Right, and you know, it's just uh, uh, just the whole significance over the years that 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 food has played, um, you know, with these mythologies. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm sorry, that was my no, no, my desk made a creaking noise. Um, no, that's all right. no, you're you're exactly right. It was uh, it's it's interesting to think about this whole idea in, in terms of uh, those you know those really Abrahamic ideas of burnt offerings. You know, the idea that in order to convey this food to, you know, the spirit world, you had to burn it and release its essence. You know, it's the exact same idea that we're talking about with a lot of these fairy foods. Um, but something that a lot of people don't consider a lot is, um, is the idea that food can also be used, you know, as a form of communication in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. One thing that I talk about in the, you know, <laughs> if whatever we're dealing with, whatever it is, has some sort of uh, entry point into our minds and our psyche. I think that's. I think anybody would agree with that. Um, you know, just in terms of reports of, of abductees receiving telepathic messages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, if you look at it from that standpoint, certain foods, just like certain smells. Uh, in, it can generate a visceral reaction in us. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who have gotten sick on, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people have that one type of liquor that they got sick on really <laughs> bad that one time that they'll never touch again. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something that I sort of talk about towards the end of the book is this idea that, you know, uh, if these aren't really foodstuffs, if they are somehow an image or an illusion cloaked in glamour, could they not be? Could they not be used to institute some sort of psychological reaction in us? Um, when I was a kid, the first time I saw Planet of the Apes, I was eating peanut butter pie, and it was the first time that I'd ever had peanut butter pie. I love peanut butter pie; it's great. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I cannot eat peanut butter pie without thinking about Charlton Heston discovering that the world has ended. And as like <laughs> you know, as an eight year old, as an eight year old, uh, you know, boy watching that, or maybe I was like eight or ten. That was a pretty nihilistic, pretty dark ending. And every time I taste peanut butter pie, I think about the end of the world. So if yeah. I were to be abducted and 
a gray alien wanted to impart unto me this environmental message that they do about how human beings are destroying the planet and, you know, turn back before it's too late. Giving me a slice of peanut butter pie might sort of underscore that, uh, that message a little bit more strongly than just telling right. me that. That's true. So, and, and, you know, all those centers of your brain are, are interconnected. Memory is particularly, uh, created to, uh, I mean, connected to, uh, uh, the sensation of sound, taste, and smell. Yeah, and that's that's uh, actually it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I'm about twenty five thousand words, probably uh, between a quarter and a third of the way into this uh, my follow up book, which is going to be looking at smells across all sorts of different phenomena. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't include ghosts in this book because there aren't a whole lot of accounts of ghosts giving people food that aren't you know purely folkloric. Um, but, you know, this is going to look at smells from the Blessed Virgin Mary, smells from ghosts, smells yeah. from uh, aliens, smells from Sasquatch, smells. And, and there are some connections that I'm finding yes, that I don't think people are. have ever made explicit. I, I talk about some of them in, in, in Cameron's Colors of Cassidy mm-hmm. Creatures. Yep. About, about the, uh, the, the, the sulfurous odor, the rotten eggs, the sulfur dioxide, um, you know, whether it's with demons, aliens, or Bigfoot. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, I'm actually gonna, uh, use, uh, use, <laughs> you're actually gonna get referenced. Um, because, you know, I think that there's, there's, here's, here's my thing. I feel like in, in all of these subjects and all anomalous research, we have been missing, the phrase that I like to use is we've been missing the trees for the forest. We've been too wrapped up in trying to solve the big answer, the big yeah. question of what these things are. Or, or, or treating them all as, they're, as if they're all separate things that are totally unrelated from each other. That's right. that's the big, that, that's the, the forest. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and, and you know, I, again, they might not all be the same thing, but by God, there are connections there. Yes, there are some there are. strong connections there. So I think if we dial back and really take a look at these these little niche aspects, we can probably learn something or at least gain some headway um, that we haven't had in you know in forever. So the subject of smells isn't as uh, isn't quite the same virgin territory that this was, but uh, I'm anticipating this sort of being a one stop shop for everything that people have 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 smelled. The data set though is just freaking huge. I don't even know. How to begin to parse it down, but uh, making a little bit of headway, so it's exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Oh yeah, very I can't cool. wait to read that one. <laughs> well, it's interesting because this is a this is a very new approach to to concentrate specifically on these areas for the content of a, an entire you know book look, looking at at this uh, at these phenomena. So yeah, my hats well, off to you. Yeah. Thanks, I, I really do appreciate it. You know, I I. Uh, I think I think it's the only way out of this mess that we've gotten ourselves into, you know, because we're not we don't need another book on Roswell. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> thank um, you, yeah. thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that you know I think that this is this is sort of a I, I, I picture my approach as being a little bit of a of a release valve for some of this stuff. And if anybody else, you know, I say it multiple times in, in, in a Trojan feast, if anybody else wants to pick up this fortune, Rome with it, be my guest. I would love for someone to write an even more comprehensive book than this, because, you know, I, sometimes I feel like, um, I was unable to do the subject justice really in terms of the, the scope and the breadth of it. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think that you've done a, uh, just really a remarkable job. I mean, you obviously have uh, you know done your research and and research that can't just be found on on 
you know using the search engine on the internet yeah. that's that's the one thing that really that that just really always gets me with a lot of books nowadays is that somebody just goes and just lifts a bunch of stuff that they found on google and yep. uh, and then exactly. you know make a make a kindle book out of it and obviously you have gone uh beyond that and have uh, just just really have done a remarkable job well thank you you know I, a, a big part of that um which is really a big part of this next one too is is the ability to have access to interlibrary loan. I mean, I would have been adrift at sea without that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the, the ability to to say because I, I I worked until recently with um, the University of Georgia, of which I was a, an alumni for my master's, and uh, and I still have some interlibrary loan privileges, et cetera, uh, as an alumni, which is a wonderful thing to have. Um, to be able to say, you know, out of all the universities in <laughs> in the United States, if they have a copy of this one obscure book, I can have them send it to me. And I, I can check it out. You know, it's it's a huge, a huge, uh, huge benefit to have. Yeah. Although, you know, it's you know, if, if it, you can actually, you can do a lot of good stuff online in terms of searching through uh, through Google Books, especially in terms of just saying, is this worth me checking out? Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to say, you know, well, here's this book on. You know, the 1973 UFO Bigfoot flap in Pennsylvania. Is there anything in here about food? Wait, let me do it. Let me, let me search through it on Google Books. Nope. Okay. Well, moving on. So, you know, it's, 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 it's just like anything. It's, it's a tool that is, is sometimes overused, but it can, can be, can be really beneficial too. So, um, but I, I really appreciate your kind words. It, it, it means a lot. Well, I'm going to ask you something here, and I don't, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, out of the stories that you have in your books, is there one or a couple or several that you can refer to where you have something that uh, took place? I don't know, you know, like back in the uh, uh, seventeen, you know, seventeen hundred, something like that. That you have something then that occurs in more modern times that the faces may be different, the situations may be different, but you're looking at pretty much the very same story. Well, I think um, less in terms of a story, but more in terms of a trend. Um, I think. Uh, oh, actually, I do have one, but let me let me let me bring this up first. Sure, um, the, the idea, I think that there's something to the idea that perhaps. The fairy loaves, which were usually tiny little walnut-sized loaves of bread, or wafers of fairy lore back in medieval times, uh, I think there's something to the idea that those might have something in common with uh, pills and tablets being administered in modern abduction reports. Right. You know, which to me, again, with my with my stance of being completely you know uh, non-partial to either side of this. Maybe that means that people in medieval ages were getting pills, or maybe that means that modern abductees are getting wafers. I don't know. But I think that there there could be a chance for misinterpretation there. Um, similarly, there's a the story that really jumped to mind, which was uh, quite startling, was the uh, tale of uh, the fairy dwelling on Selina Moore, uh, which was in uh, a book that was uh, it chronicled a lot of... Uh, stories from Cornwall, England. And there was this gentleman who uh, had went to go, he'd gone to go get a drink. Imagine that just as we were talking about earlier. Um, And he was found asleep in a barn three days later. And they, you know, they were wondering where he had been. And he said that he, uh, he had become lost on his way to the, to the tavern. 
And for a while, after a while, he came upon what he saw was a fairy banquet, and there were small people running around and eating and drinking. And after some time, this one lady, taller than the others, came towards him and offered him, you know, uh, uh, a tankard of 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 this uh, this ale. And while he was gone, he saw another woman um, who came up and grabbed him and, and took him, you know, uh, to a secret spot in the orchard. And 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 he recognized her as uh, this woman that he had uh, he had once loved. And she warned him that she, he should not take or eat or drink anything uh, right. from this from this fairy party because she had actually eaten a plum from this fairy orchard years ago, and that's that's when. Everyone else thought she had died. She she had actually had a changeling put in her place of a uh, of a of an empty vessel, and uh, he he uh, she uh, <laughs> was trying to think of the quote. She told him that the the taste of the plum had been sweet, but had turned bitter when she ate it. And she found out that she was a prisoner of the fairies afterwards, and that their food was all a sham. They only ate you know just this they detritus, and that they weren't Christians, but they were actually star worshippers. Uh, <laughs> so let's, so let's, so let's break this down, right? Um, so we have missing time, you know, three days worth of missing time with this guy. Um, we have a motif that I find really compelling, a bunch of smaller entities supervised by a taller entity, yeah. um, which you find in a lot of abduction reports as well. Um, you have this, uh, fruit that's administered that tastes sweet and then turns bitter, um, Whitley Strieber, in one of his first uh, abductions, say what you want to about Whitley Strieber. I'm my my personal jury's still out. I'll say that he has stuck by his story, um, and that he has stuck by a story that if he was making it up, he's a good enough novelist he could have made up a better story. That's personally the way I feel about it. Yeah. Um. He recalled in one of his first experiences that he was given uh, a, a particular taste of fruit that ended up making his head practically split. Then you look at the yes, idea of glamour, this idea of, you know, the idea of, uh, that, that we've already talked about before. And then that wonderful detail that the, uh, the fairies were star worshippers. I love that so much. Um, yeah. so that's, that's, that's a real, that's a really powerful, um, comparison between, between fairy lore and modern abduction lore. And it's, uh, again, if you can't see those, if you can't acknowledge those parallels, holy cow, you're just not being honest with yourself. Yeah, that's pretty interesting for sure. And you'll find a lot of similar stuff in the uh, uh, popular tales of the West Highlands too, with uh, uh, commentary about uh, uh, what they eat and and what they uh, w- what their modes of transportation, worship, and everything else are. It's very interesting. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. And another book you that you probably are familiar with is uh, uh, Reverend Robert Kirk's The Secret Commonwealth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's some um, interesting stuff in there too. Yeah, there really is. He talks uh, something. This is a good direction for us to go into. Um, he talks about how they extract this essence um, from the yeah. uh, the food offerings and how they they actually absorb it through their spongious bodies. Yep, and that's particularly compelling because a lot of people and uh, David David Jacobs is the one who really popularized the term, the absorption theory, which I have found surprisingly few people actually are up to speed on. But the idea that they absorb. Um, that alien entities absorb uh, nutrition through their skin. And uh, I know that I know a lot of people who have varying ideas of David Jacobs's work, but setting that aside, um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence from a lot of different sources that echo this exact same thing. Um, uh, Was it uh, Phil Corso uh, said something again, setting aside the validity of his, of his writing. Um, 
he says that uh, there's some Brad Steiger references to it. Um, you know, there are these tales that you hear about aliens uh, floating in vats of of liquid and consuming through their skin. So right. that's another really compelling connection is this idea that fairies were to eat through their skin and alien entities eat through their skin too. Well, you know, the whole Dulcie thing is supposedly yeah. like yep. that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's, and, and again, I didn't, I feel like a lot of people see this book and they're like, oh, it's about what aliens eat. No, it's not. But this particular, <laughs> it's, it's about, cause the important thing to me is that act of offering. Um, but it's important to me that you, that this is addressed because once you address that, it f- reframes this idea of, of fairy or alien ointment in a completely new light. Right. Um, and, uh, also brings up, Bigger ideas, which I go to later in the book, which it, it naturally goes down a, a road of, of inquiry that I'm quite interested in, the idea of entheogens, um, particularly the idea of ayahuasca, the idea of um, entities who are, or rather uh, drinks who are at once entities and uh, plants and drinks and sort of release the inner God and let you allow you to see the, uh, see the, see the hidden world, as it were. Um, and, you know, in some ways you look at these entheogens, which almost everyone has a creation myth as it being bestowed from the gods. In that sense, they are entity food that we can actually study and actually, you know, uh, apply a real science to. And, uh, there's some interesting parallels there too, in, in terms of the experiences that people have had under, under the influence of psychedelics and, uh, and sort of this fairy food taboo trend as it is. Well, you look at, right. uh, Terrence McKenna. And his uh, his whole thing about uh, the uh, especially the psilocybin mushroom and how he felt that this was a form of a um, almost an interdimensional intelligence that uh, this was the way that we could communicate with them was through the ingestment of uh, uh, of this mushroom and, and and gosh it's been a while since I've read his work but I think. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, McKenna as well who talked about uh, during his experiences coming across like uh, a small, almost uh, a fairy-like beings who uh, who who claimed that they were the uh, gosh, what was what was the term? I can't remember exactly what the term was now, but they were like the intermediaries between this world and the next. He he used to refer to that sort of space, that DMT space, as an ecology of souls and its inhabitants as machine elves. Is that the term? That's that it, exactly. That's, it. Yeah. that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Machine elves. That was his. Yeah, and and the thing is that when you you, you think about the number of people um, using these substances who claim they've seen insectoid humanoids, mm-hmm. and really. It's pretty funny because yesterday I was talking to my son and we were observing some insects and he said, you know, they're, they're kind of like machines. He said they, they move and they function and they even operate together, you know, like, like, like machines, like, a, like software. And I said, yeah, they do. And, and, you know, when you think about it, insectoid entities and machine nails aren't that far apart. Um, no, I mean, we, I mean, we're, we're sort of in the, in the habit of modeling our technology off of insects. I mean, you take a look right. at, uh, you know this idea of nanotechnology that everybody's been been uh, been touting for years. This idea of swarms of small machines that do things, you know, as one. Um, there's a, there's a direct parallel there. You know, I think that there's. It's so easy for people in the establishment to write off folks like Terrence McKenna as just being, you know, 
being high and not really making much sense. But yeah, drug, once, yeah, drugged out freak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, if, once you fall into a rhythm with listening to his to his thoughts, his line of thinking, a lot of it does make a lot of sense, and uh, it does provide an interesting, you know, uh, foot into the door with some of this stuff. I find it equally interesting the work of Graham Hancock, who. Um, during several different sessions, ayahuasca sessions in 2013, was actually explicitly offered food um, by entities, remembered the food taboo, and opened his eyes to prevent him from having the visions anymore, um, which I think wow. is really interesting. You, you, you run into people encountering that. I I'd spoke with a gentleman um, who actually emailed me who was uh, a very proud ayahuasca advocate. He's from Ireland. And he said that he uh, was having a session, and at one point his um, his during a session he saw this tiny like he he equated it to a leprechaun being an, of Irish descent, and he said that it's it said why don't you come downstairs and have a drink, and this portal opened up in the ground and the stairway down to a down to a wooden door and he says he was about to open the door when the shaman that was supervising him ran out of the hut and was saying, don't go in, don't go in, don't go in. Or he, mm. it, he didn't really understand what he was saying, but he could tell that he was very concerned about what was happening. Um, yeah. So again, this idea that you have these, these similar experiences, uh, again, uh, sort of trumps, you know, the idea to me that it's just all out growth of the Persephone myth. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that if this is all just random firings of the brain, that you wouldn't have someone having that exact same experience. Right. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the groups of people that all see something anomalous and then some idiot, and yes, I do mean idiot, whether they're government officials or whatever, they, they call it a mass hallucination. Yeah. Okay. Which is impossible. No such thing. No such thing right. as a mass hallucination. Right. Only one brain can have a, a, a specific hallucination. You don't share, you know, we're not telepathic, not yet, thank God. And, uh, you know, what, the whole concept of a mass hallucination is just a way of somebody saying, oh, they're all crazy. Well, as we see, but we're, we're, we're wading into some really murky water here because I, I think that, um, I think that, it, I think that it might be possible for something like a mass hallucination to exist, but that's still just shifting the idea to something equally bizarre. Well, well, you, know, you could call it a mass hallucination. I could see um, a specific EM field being used to create a certain illusion in the brains of percipients. You know, but that would be an outside act, outside force of some kind acting on their perceptions, whereas. You and I and Tim are having a picnic, and we all look up, and we see a UFO, and it looks the same to all of us, and we tell somebody about it, and they say, well, that was just a mass hallucination. Right, yeah. right. I mean, it, that's no, that's an eyewitness account. That's just like, you know, a group of people who witness, uh, you know, somebody getting hit by a car. Well, you know, court, I, you know, I spoke to a young lady that I that I uh, played music with one time, and she was talking to me about one time she was uh, taking mushrooms, and she and her boyfriend at the time um, – she was had actually gone inside. They were sitting outside, and she had gone inside to wash her hands. And through the kitchen window, she saw this giant bright light shining on her, on her boyfriend at the time, and uh, and she absolutely freaked out and ran out. And he said that he had. He said, "I'm so glad you came out here. That light was about to take me." <laughs> so, oh, <wow. laughs> you know, maybe maybe it was maybe it was a helicopter. Uh, I I don't think so though. Hmm. Well, you know, uh, Adam Go Rightly 
tells a, 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 a very similar story where uh, uh, him and a friend had uh, taken LSD and they were they were outside just you know just, just kind of talking and at one point they they said wouldn't it be cool if we saw you know like some UFOs and then pretty soon they both start seeing UFOs and which at first you know it started out you know conventional lights in the sky and then pretty soon they started taking on more of a you know, like a metallic uh, solid appearance and then finally at the end they were looking like just really outlandish wild cartoony type of uh, 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 of craft yet both of them were seeing the same thing yeah right yeah. right yeah i mean the anecdotal uh the anecdotal body of evidence for this is absolutely, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard to find at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, and of course this is where the, this is where the scientific community comes in and says anecdotal evidence doesn't mean anything. Well, no, it does. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it stands up in, again, it stands up in a court of law. Well, I mean, well, yeah, that, and also, you know, I mean, that's what a lot of our modern medicine is founded on, is anecdotal evidence. I mean, if I come to you and I say, doctor, everybody that I see, um, everybody that I see looks like a giant squirrel, well, they don't necessarily doubt that I'm having that experience. They can find certain things that are going on in my brain that might cause the experience, but it's really still the foundation of that is anecdotal. I'm telling them what's happening to me. Um which you know is similarly, I feel that sort of that's that's similar mechanism at work with hauntings. You know, oh, we'll, we'll we'll never be able to prove ghosts because you know pe- all the evidence is anecdotal. Well, yeah, the anecdote the evidence is anecdotal, but similarly, we can look at the location and see things that might have been a catalyst for that to happen. Just as we can look at the the brain of someone with dementia and see catalysts for why they're experiencing these bizarre things. But you read about you know the 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 variety of mental illnesses that exist of people perceiving time as much slower after they get hit in the head or something. It's, it's, it's an, it's a very broad variety. And the only way that we know about it is through anecdotal testimony of the person going through it. Hmm. Right. That's right. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, that, that brings to mind also, and I mean, you know, we've referred to that, to this several times, you know, during this show, uh, but the, the, the the fairy lore of of somebody who has gone off with the fairies and even though to them it seems like that they had just been gone overnight when they come back they've been gone you know weeks months years uh similar situations with uh some people who have been uh you know said that they've been carried away uh by the flying saucer people i mean to them it, it, they said that they were only gone a day yet they come back they've been missing a week yeah i mean it's again it's sort of circles back around to that idea about, you know, the really important thing being the effect on the witness. And sometimes I wonder if, sometimes I wonder if we aren't like dogs and our master is pointing at something across the room and we're staring at its hand. You know, I think, <laughs> I think we're, I think we're looking at the wrong thing sometimes. And I think maybe the right thing to look at is the effect that it has on these people, you know? Um, a lot of people who, you know, people don't like to talk about this. A lot of nuts and bolts UFO proponents don't like to talk about this, but a lot of abductees experience psychic phenomena afterwards. Um, you want to talk about something that's applicable and useful in the real world. uh, I think psychic phenomena is a thousand times in that sense, more important to the lives of these people than the actual, you know, abduction experience. Um, because you know, they, it's something that happens to them every day and it's something that can have a profound effect on those around them. You know, don't get on that bus. It's going to crash. Um, so, you know, sometimes I wonder if we're, if we're sort of concentrating on the wrong thing and that 
that wasn't to downplay the experiences that some people that say that they have, which um, do sound legitimately life changing and horrifying. But sometimes I just you know to entertain that idea that maybe maybe uh, the what's happening with the the uh, witness is, is is what we should really be focusing on rather than what happened to the witness. I have talked to a number of people over the years who have had uh, a lot of times a singular UFO experience and have come back profoundly changed. Just like you said, they, they have, they, they developed, uh, psychic powers and, uh, where they never had any before. They become interested in mathematics, advanced science, uh, again, where they had never had any kind of interest in anything like that, uh, uh previous to their UFO experience. Uh, a lot of times, they become interested in uh, spirituality. Uh, they'll, uh, some of them, unfortunately, will end up getting a divorce and leaving their families uh, in order to uh, better concentrate, uh, you know, on these newfound interests. Yeah, an idea that I I have been in uh, I've been in love with for a while is this idea that uh, Greg Bishop and Paul Kimball have kicked around, which is the idea of the UFOs as cosmic art. <laughs> the idea that you know, I love what's, that. What, yeah. Yeah, what, what's the ultimate goal of any artist? Well, it's to affect and change the, the person who witnesses it. And, you know, what, what does that better than, than these sort of fringe experiences? Um, you know, I, I don't know what you do with that. It's, it's a great idea. I don't know what you do with it in terms of, you know, following up on it. Um, or what the, what the mechanism is. But it's, it's a, it's a wonderfully romantic idea that I am quite partial to. Well, it's, um, it's going to be hard for us to see that, I think, at the moment because we are examining only these individual accounts and it's, it's going to take time, you know, maybe 100, 200 years before we can really step back and look at all of these experiences, uh, you know, as a whole and, and see that that great art project then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's and, and these are the sort of ideas, I mean, it's amazing when you talk to people who are like, you don't believe in all, you don't believe that there are aliens coming to Earth. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's my go-to, uh, example. It's like, no, let me tell you the sort of things that I really am interested in. Uh, and, you know, if, if we could get more people out in the, uh, quote unquote real world to, uh, to embrace some of these stranger ideas, I think it's going to have the effect of alleviating the stigma that surrounds a lot of these subjects. You know, it's just, we're, we're just so, we're so tied down to this one possible idea that it must be this, um, that, uh, I think that it's just, it's, it's, it's self-defeating in a lot of ways. Well, I think with a lot of people, it's more, it's more comfortable that way. You know, I mean, the, it's, the, you know, the, these subjects are, are for, for majority of the people are scary enough as it is. But if you could just say, yes, it's definitely aliens, then it's just like, oh, well, whew, just aliens, you know. Well, then, you know, if you go yeah. and, and start bringing in the possibility of, of just all kinds of, of different things or, or something even more strange than aliens, then I think most people, I mean, they would, they'd be, you know, like sitting their clothes on fire and, you know, right oh, yeah. in the middle of the street. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, yep. it's, um, it's this existential Kierkegaardian fear and trembling that I think a lot of people would experience. I was talking to one, to one show host, um, who was like, you know, I'm not really that interested in Bigfoot, but whenever I have a Bigfoot show, people go crazy. And I said, well, that's probably because it's easy to understand. You know, it's easy to, the idea that it's, uh, that it's a big monkey running around North America is super accessible to people. Um, right. I'm not really sure what it is. I 
have differing thoughts and it depends on what time of day you ask me how I feel about it. But, but the, the generally can see the generally held notion that Bigfoot is just a relic hominid, um, is super accessible to a lot of people. And a lot of people don't have a very hard time swallowing that. Well, it's a simplistic answer. Right. Right. You know, exactly. and, and again, you know, with UFOs, UFOs is nuts and bolts, crafts from other planets. That's a simplistic answer, even though it's the least logical of all answers. It's it's a very, as I like, as I'm fond of saying, it's a very tidy explanation for a grossly untidy phenomena. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it is. I mean, it's just we could we we could go into why it absolutely is is fallacious. But you know, I mean, it is a simple answer, and people of simple understanding require simple answers. Yeah. And yes, I'm talking about the scientific community. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but I think it's I think it's getting better. You know, I, I think so. that there's I think that there's a lot of ambiguity that's being injected. Um, I have trouble seeing some of the things that are coming out today in terms of quantum physics, um, and I have trouble seeing that come out of one side of a scientist's mouth and then dismissing the stuff that we talk about coming out of the other side of their mouth, you know? Oh, well, oh, well, yeah. future, future events affect the way that we observe things or the way that whether or not we can observe things, uh, whether how we observe things, the nature of something is dependent upon whether or not we're observing it. How is this any different than what we're talking about? How is this, how is this more reasonable than, than some of the ideas that we embrace about, you know, profound synchronicities? And why, why is that accepted evidence of something strange and, 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 and bizarre happening. And Dean Radin's wonderfully documented experiments aren't given that same sort of weight that prove basically the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 it, it becomes exhausting. And at some point you just have to throw up your hands and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to the people who are, who have a nuanced enough opinion to, to embrace these ideas and everybody else can either find their own way to it or just go ahead and, you know, you, you, you can you can say it. You're allowed to say that on this show. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, well, you know, but just, it just it's. I feel like a lot of it's an echo chamber. You know, a lot of science is dealing in this in this echo chamber. Well, it is. It's it's a uh, um, it's a uh, there's a what's, what's wrong for you? A priesthood in place, mm-hmm. and and there is a uh, an orthodoxy that must be maintained. Yeah, I mean, I. Which is unscientific. Oh, absolutely, and that's you know that's why I that's why I like to say there's a little bit of science and mythology, and there's <laughs> there's a lot there's there's a little bit of mythology and science, yeah. um, because you know you just you get you get embroiled in these ideas that you know well we're going to have to work backwards from an answer to explain uh, how consciousness survives or how near death experiences occur without even entertaining the idea that that consciousness is non-local, you know. Oh, well, the 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 firing of the neuron still exists up to 10 minutes after death. There you go. That's why. Because we're we're still embracing, you know. I'm sorry. I I, I get I I wish that I could talk at length about uh consciousness research because honestly, I feel like that's what a lot of this will eventually go back to if we could ever figure all this out. Um but there are so many people who do such a better job of talking about it than I do. But uh and the, and the reason that people don't want to don't want to bring this up, the scientific establishment doesn't want to bring this up, is because it makes everything everything fall down like a house of cards. Sure, well, every, everything can be called into question. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm still kind of of the opinion that 
yeah, it is related in some way to the earth and the energies of the earth and and even the, beneath the surface of the earth because of various factors that exist there. But at the same time, that could also be related to the quantum realm. And, you know, in the same way that uh, uh, consciousness, uh, our own perceptions and ex- expectations affect the quantum realm, well, what if that, whatever's, whatever that is, is expressing itself in the macro world instead of the micro world? And this is what we're, we're experiencing. Well, I mean, you know, it's the first law of hermeneutics, as above, so below. Um, right. And I think that, I mean, again, I don't know how you can look at, let's start with a, a leaf on a tree. I don't know how you can look at a leaf on a tree and not see that it's, you know, it's a micro-representation of the structure of the tree. I mean, you know, with the right. central, and, you know, and how you can look at the universe and say how it's not a macro version of, of uh, you know, oh, the, the brain. Mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're... we're we're stuck in this idea. Do, do y'all listen to the Skeptico podcast at all? Oh yeah, uh, no. I've listened Alex to Alex Sakaris, yeah. Um I really have to give him have to give him props because I really do think he's fighting the good fight. And I think that again, like I like I said, I think it's getting better, but uh it's it's about time that there was some some open mindedness happening that 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 uh that isn't happening. And this this might sound like I'm being anti science and that's not what I'm at at all. I'm, I think science is great. If I am sick, I'm going to go to the doctor. If you know, I, I <laughs> I'm sitting here talking to you on a microphone that was made using science, applying you know, using applied science. Um, you know, the internet is, is, is applied science. That's great. It's just it just becomes a problem when you use what is intended as a toolbox as a belief system, as a belief structure. Um, and you know, it's just like with anything, anybody with a belief system, when people can't question themselves and question the system that they're involved in, that's when I get really nervous. Well, and you have to remember also all those things that you just mentioned, uh, at one time there was a scientist who said that, no, there's no way that that could work. You're crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I said it uh, to a friend of mine recently that I, I feel like for, for centuries, you know, back when uh, all the all the great astronomers were being challenged, when Bruno was being challenged for having that moment of realization that all the stars are individual suns with their own solar systems. For right. years, for centuries, we were waiting for religion to catch up to science. And now we've crossed this threshold where I think we're waiting for science to catch up to religion. I think we're waiting for science to catch up to spirituality. Um, th- this particular thought, came to me when I saw that research, the recent research about uh, people staring into each other's eyes and inducing altered states of consciousness. Did you see this? Yes, yes. No, but yeah. that's interesting. Um, th- th- apparently they would see shifting forms and all sorts of different things after staring into someone's eyes for 15 minutes, which of course is a variation on scrying. Um, you know, it's, it's a variation on ancient, uh, ancient, uh, magical tools that people use. And of course, science has to work back and say, well, what sort of biological reason could there be for this? And really, I think that, you know, guess what, guys? It's time for you to catch up now. You know, it's time for you to, to say maybe, <laughs> imagine this. Maybe there's a middle road. Maybe we shouldn't burn people at the stake for having radical ideas about the universe. And at the same time, maybe we should embrace the fact that there's something more going on in this in this crazy existence that we have. <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that. Oh, Sounds yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> um, you know, the, and, and don't, don't, uh, penalize people who have experiences beyond their control exactly exactly i mean you know it's it's 
until you've had a sort of strange experience that no one believes, um, it's it's impossible for anyone to realize how frustrating it is for people to say that it it didn't happen to you. But in a lot of ways, we have the same people who are saying, you know, don't blame victims in other crimes, saying, well, it's okay to blame the victims if they feel like they saw Bigfoot because they don't know what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Well, here I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a good example, and this uh, uh, this happened to me just the other day, and uh, I was uh, I was over at a friend's house uh, uh, talking to her, and her fr- her husband's father had died not too long uh, before this, and we were talking about him, and then all of a sudden from the basement, uh, this alarm started up, and we kind of looked at each other, and I'm like, "Do you hear that?" And she's like, "Yeah, that's my daughter's uh, alarm clock," and then all of a sudden it just stopped. And I'm like, is it supposed to do that? And she says, it's never done that before. <laughs> and so, so <laughs> I went, I, so I went, I went home and I told my wife that. And her reaction was, oh, well, I mean, her daughter must have, you know, reset it and then it just started up and then turned itself off. I says, uh, that alarm, you know, uh, she said it doesn't yeah. tur- it doesn't oh. turn itself off on its own you yeah, have to it doesn't work off. like that sorry yeah, yeah yeah and it only it only went for like maybe 10 20 seconds before it turned itself off and you know she's like it's never done that before and my wife she just you know she came up with just all of these explanations on you know on how it could have happened and it's like yeah well that's fine but you weren't there to see, to hear it <laughs> well, you, you know, know what it's, it's, it was tim so, somebody was listening to your conversation and that alarm interrupted them and it took them a few seconds to get back there and turn it off yeah we were the only ones in the house well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, you know, and it's this idea that unless it can be reproduced in a lab, it doesn't exist. You know, there's this great Charles Fork quote: "Science is a turtle that says that its own shell encloses all things." Um, you know, it's this. It's, I love that one. <laughs> it's that's yeah. It, it's, it was, it's just it's just it's so ridiculous to me. That, I mean. This is the same again. This is the same scientific establishment that tells you it's possible for me to walk through this wall right now if the arrangement of atoms is just specifically correct because there's more right. space in this wall than there is solid. And you're telling me that everything has to be recreated in a lab to be accepted an accepted possibility, not even accepted fact, but even to be a possibility that's entertained. It really strains, really strains the credulity for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they 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 have no problem with making pronouncements like that, but then if you point out that there are entities that apparently can alter their density and pass through walls and then become solid again, well, they don't want to hear that. Yeah, and it's and, and, and the way that you present it, I mean, it's not it's not that you're saying this is definitely the way that it is. It's, it's an idea, because no matter how much you want to uh, criticize or you want to dismiss these sort of encounters, these sort of sightings, it doesn't make them go away. Nope. You know? and, and, and so either you can either you can try to present ideas that deal with that and try to present ideas that might help explain it or you just ignore it and too often the, they pick the latter the latter option well gentlemen unfortunately we are almost out of time here so Joshua I want to give you a chance to uh, uh, let our listeners know where they can find your book uh, uh, your if you have a website, tell us your website. And then, you know, if you're going to be uh, doing any talks or uh, book signings anytime soon, now's the time to do it. 
Well, thanks so much. Um, um, my one-stop shop for everything me, including uh, blog posts and also uh, dates on upcoming interviews, dates on upcoming uh, musical performances, because I, uh, I'm a musician as well, uh, can be found at joshuacutchin.com, J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. Um, I th- this is actually the last interview that I think I have scheduled for a while. Um, but having said that, I am actually uh, going to be holding a book signing in uh, book signing book signing <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in uh, little switzerland north carolina uh, it's up in the mountains uh, not too far from master hanks um that's at uh, books and beans uh, and i have that information on my website uh, for people to check that out um and the book itself is called a trojan feast and it's available um from uh, amazon.com as a paperback hardcover or kindle and it's available from uh, Barnes and Noble as well in those formats. Cool. All right. Yep. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to reading it. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And it was a great, great talking with you guys. It was uh, it went, in, went in some wonderful directions. Well, thank you very much, Joshua. We really appreciate you yeah. uh, being on. And uh, when you uh, when you get the the book that you're writing now finished, uh, we'd like to have you back on and talk about that as well. Thanks so much. I'll be sure to let you know. All right. Well, Mike, we got to uh, wrap it up here. So uh, uh, good night to you and good night. You too, man. Not good night to everyone out there who's been listening. I'm Tim Swartz. You have been listening to The Outer Edge. Be sure to tune in again this time next week for another fascinating program. So from all of us here on the PSN Radio Network, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.